Nehemiah chapter 4, we have evil-inspired opposition that comes against the building of the wall. But we're going to see that it follows a certain pattern. I was pretty sure I had gone over this pattern sometime in the past, but I could not find it in any of the searches I did, but it's not a, a normal way for me to file this, so it would have been a tougher search for me to get. But if you know the pattern, you can anticipate what will happen next. And when it happens, you won't be so inclined to think that you did something wrong, you did something to bring it about, you did something that you shouldn't have and standing for a principle of God or a project that he gave you and you're accomplishing that thing. But the enemy wants to get you to second guess what you did, how you did it. Maybe you should have changed it this way. If he can do that, if he can get you into taking some of the blame for the opposition that's rising up against you, that can be part of your downfall. Because if you take some of that blame, guilt or fear, and get you to stop doing what you're doing or standing for what you're standing for. But once we know the pattern, we know what comes next, we can be better prepared for it. So here in Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to see this pattern. After we see the pattern in Nehemiah 4, we'll look at some other examples in the Bible where you see this pattern go as well. Now, this pattern is a little bit different from some of the other ones. We're going to give you five parts to this pattern. Not always are all five parts needed to get to the end result. Sometimes they are skipped, but there's reasons why they are skipped, and we'll see them in the examples. So let's begin over here in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to see the first part of this is scorn and ridicule. In verse 1, But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So Sanballat and Tobiah, these are big names in this part of the history of the Jewish people. There are ones who are named as the opposition. Other people are behind them, but these are the, the main ones. In Nehemiah chapter 2, and verse 10, it said they were deeply disturbed. If you remember that verse we read a few weeks ago, I'll read it for you here. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. That's when they heard that Nehemiah had come from the king to, to do this. Then they tried to scorn, to intimidate the workers attempting to prevent the work from beginning. If you look at verse 19 of chapter 2, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So, here we have it said that they, once the work had begun, they are furious and very indignant. So they keep 
escalating their level of emotional involvement that they have. They're beginning to mock those who are doing the labor. Now, the enemy will speak of things you do in a derogatory and a demeaning way because it's their nature. It's their culture. It's not based on your work. When you hear these things, don't think it's something that you did, something unique about you, something that attracted them to attack you. It's just their, it's their nature. It's kind of the, the culture that evil has. This is what they, they promote. Now it says that when they heard about the work, be, that the work was going on. Let me read that verse for you again here. Uh, verse 1, but it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Now, all he did was hear. He has not seen. It's very specific. It says that he heard. All the criticism that he says about this wall falling down, about a fox walking on it, knocking it over, it's not based on anything that he has seen. It's based on what he heard. A lot of times people will come against you and be critics of what it is that God is doing, God has called you to do, and all they have done is heard. They haven't seen. They haven't witnessed anything that you're doing. They haven't seen your heart. They haven't heard your words. They just heard people talk about what it is that you're doing, and they will base it off of that. But they will say things that makes it sound like they have firsthand experience with what it is that you're doing. Know this is the culture when it comes against you. And so always feel good about questioning them on specifics. Oh yeah, tell me what I said. Tell me what I did. Get specifics on it. Because they won't be able to give them to you. Well, you know, it's just in the way that you're going about They're always going to keep it in generalities. That's the way of the, of the culture of evil. Don't let it get to you. Make them say specific. All right, what specifically didn't you like? I like a... Uh, I think it was Keith Moore, I was listening to him, and he tells this story often, that people will come up to him and they'll say, uh, you said such and such. And he'll say, no, I didn't say that. And they were insistent. No, I know that you said it this way. No, I didn't say that. He said, they have it on uh, uh, tape back there. Go back there and get the tape. And then you play it back and listen to it and come on back and tell me. And I remember this one story he was telling them they, they had done that and they came back and said, well, I know what you meant. <laughs> he didn't actually say it. Brother Hagen would talk about people who would say, uh, uh, you said such and such. And Brother Hagen would say, I didn't say that. I know it. I heard you say it. I said, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I just quoted him. <laughs> Boy, that'll shut people up real quick. <laughs> but understand, this is the culture of evil. This is the culture of darkness. This is what they do. This is just, they think this is normal. They think this is every day. So call them on it. Oh yeah? What color is that wall that you say the fox will knock over? I mean, get them to say some specifics about it because they don't have them. And this, instead of them embarrassing you and ridiculing you, you can turn the tables on them. And don't feel bad about turning the tables on them. You're going to see some of that here in, in this. Verse 4. Here... O oh, our God, for we are despised. This is a prayer that most Christians can get behind. Turn the reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. 
How many have some people in your life you like to pray that for? Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. In other words, God, go get them. Give them everything they deserve for what it is that they're doing. He didn't pray like Stephen. Oh, you know, let the, uh, don't hold them accountable for this sin. He didn't pray like Jesus. Don't let them be accountable for this sin. No, no. He said, no, you make them accountable. You remember what it is that they did right here. Verse 6. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So, all right, the ridicule has not worked. So we got to step it up. So this is where they step it up. We're going to do some threats and some intimidation. This is what we want to move it into. So they all came together. They conspired to come and attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. So the work was continuing. They've got um, the entire wall joined up to half its height. Now the thing is, the first part of this work is easier than the second part of this work. Because first off, the first part is lower. The second part is higher. So you've got to carry stuff up higher. But beside that, if you have a, a, a mound of broken rocks... Which ones are you going to use first? The best ones. You would want the best ones at the bottom anyway for the foundation. Those are the ones that are going to need the least amount of work to be able to use into the wall. So now the first half will go faster than the second half. But we're not given a time frame here. We're told that 52 days was it. But I don't know if this was day 14, day 10, day 20. We don't know any of that sort of stuff. But... We do know that they got half the height of the wall built and is connected all the way around. Now, that won't protect them. They can get over that. So they know they have to keep going. But as I imagine it, the work's going to get a little bit harder now because you may have to be going out there and getting some brand new rocks, cutting them, putting them in place. But I don't know exactly. I've never built a wall such as that. So Now, this is what they want to do. And so too the enemies of the church. But there's something holding them back. They want to attack Jerusalem. They want to come out there and create confusion among them. They don't want to just be verbal and threats. They want to come here and they want to attack. But there's something holding them back. So here's a question I ask you. Can it be God holding them back? And if so, how? Now, we know that God does not change people's wills. He won't make them do something if they have decided to do it. He didn't make Pharaoh release Israel. He let Pharaoh make that decision. He just made it easier for Pharaoh to make that decision. He didn't stop the people from building the Tower of Babel. He just made it harder for them to continue the project. He doesn't change their will. So how is it, if God is going to stop this, and they prayed to God, so you would think God can have some kind of hand in this. What's he going to do? Well, in the past, we've seen that God has helped, but he has not altered the will of the people involved. Some heard rumors. 
and they quit based on the rumor that they heard. Sometimes they made assumptions based on what they heard. And because of those assumptions, they came to wrong conclusions. You remember some of the armies that came against Israel? They said, oh, the armies of Israel have uh, attacked themselves. Let's go in there and clean it up. Well, they made an assumption. God provided them visual evidence, and they decided to come to a conclusion that was not right. So they rushed on in, and Israel was able to clean up on that one. Uh, others suddenly had to contend with their own national affairs. Something went wrong in their own nation. They couldn't go out there and mess with Israel anymore. If you remember the Assyrians in Second Kings chapter 19, they came after they attacked the northern tribes. They came down to the southern tribe. But they made a mistake of calling out God. If you want to see that story, it's Second Kings chapter 19. And then they boasted about uh, how God was nothing. And that was Sennacherib, his army. He came. And they uh, boasted, don't think, don't let your God tell you he, you're being delivered. You're not being delivered. No way. The other gods, they couldn't deliver the, us. Your gods aren't going to do any better. And they made things like Hezekiah has taken the high places away. And you're going to be able to call on this God. So they called out God. So he showed up. And the angel of the Lord said, came and executed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. So that took care of that. Uh, don't call out God. I mean, feel good about it when your people who are coming against you call out God. Just smile. Just like David. Oh, that's it. <laughs> now you got God involved. This is going to be easy. Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we sat, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. See, now they're getting into some of the, the stone that is not so good. You read rubbish, and you might be thinking, you know, trash like we have. This, this is not a disposable society. They don't have paper, plastic, bottles and all that sort of stuff so the rubbish is the stuff on the wall that was burned it's not able to be used they have to find some kind of a way to to get rid of it i did find some uh writing on the wall and it looked like they had actually used some of the uh, parts of the wall that couldn't be used real well as filler in between the stone that they had built the, the wall with as they were excavating they found some things that helped them date that, uh, some parts of the wall. Nevertheless, verse 9, the, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So we set up a watch. So we heard their threats. We heard their, the things they said. So we just decided we're going to put people up there and we are going to watch here, adding a great dimension to the New Testament teaching, watch and pray. They are watching and they are praying. And Judah then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. So the peoples are getting tired. They're working hard. They're getting tired. But also the threats seem to be weighing on them. They're hearing these threats. They know these things are out there. That's why they have the watch set up. This is wearing them down. That's the plan. That's what they wanted to have happen. Now there is no attack so far, but it's just a threat of one. That's what's disheartening the people. 
they can have the same effect on us too. Threats can get us to first off imagine bad results. You hear a threat, you begin to imagine bad results. Doctor comes to you, he's not even against you. Doctor comes to you, gives you a report, and tells you this is threatening your life. And you can imagine some bad results because of the doctor's report. So that's one thing it can do. Second, we can see our own work in the light of darkness. When you hear threats, you begin to see the, own, the work that you are doing for God in the light of darkness instead of in His light. And it makes it look different. And it makes you become fearful. It makes you unsure whether you should continue. Don't look at the work of God through the light of darkness. Look at it through His light. There's a third one I gave you. Feel like things will get better if we stop. That's the trick of the enemy. If you just stop believing for this, if you just quit that, if you just stop fighting this thing, it'll get better. Now remember, in the chapters before, we saw that they were in distress because they had no wall. And this has been going on for years. It's easy how we can forget the problems that were there before we took on the task. Before we took on what God called us to do. we got to remember the distress that we were in before. And then God says, all right, I want you to do this. That's going to fix this. That's going to help this. That's why they're building the wall. Now, if Sam Bellet wanted the best chance for a successful attack, the element of surprise would be sought. If you want to win a battle, you don't want the enemy to know you're coming. You want to have the element of surprise. Catch them off guard. Most battles that were successful had some kind of an element of surprise. When both sides know this is coming, it's quite a clash that goes in there. You, you lose some of the advantage. Verse 11, And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Now it sounds like they're trying to do this under the cover of night, under the cover of darkness. But they aren't. They've let the rumor go out so that the children of Israel know they're coming, they're planning to come, so they've set up a watch. Verse 12, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. If you're trying to have an attack that you want to be covert and you have Jews that are near the area, you don't let them know. You don't talk about this in front of them. You don't let them hear, overhear things. You keep them from it. But they didn't. They let the Jews that were near them know about this, and they're one of the ones that came on back, but apparently they had already heard this before. Somehow the word had, had gotten in, and these Jews who came in also told them. So they know this is coming. One of the reasons why they became disheartened while they're working on the wall, they knew this thing was coming, so the element of surprise is gone. Now the threat that they have here, as well as any threat that the enemy throws against us in the New Testament era, the threat is powerless without belief in the threats and the threatened outcome. You have to believe that whatever is threatened can actually happen. 
if you don't believe it can actually happen, it won't cause you any fear at all because you have no belief in it. But here they had to have some belief that they could actually do it. And so you can imagine that the enemy is working on them, sowing thoughts just like he would do with you. You know that wall, that's not protecting you yet. People can easily get over, over that wall. Those gates aren't completely finished yet. Somebody can sneak in through one of those gates that's not quite done. Yeah, they could. And they want to come and they, they want to kill all us. And Oh, this isn't this is going to be good. You have to have a belief in that in order for it to have an, have an effect. You know, if you were outside and a little kid, yay hall, comes, comes uh, up to you and says, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you may not believe that too much, right? Not, not producing a whole lot of fear. There has to be a belief in it. Belief in, in the God-stated outcome will negate the threat. You need to have that God belief, that belief in God that whatever He said was going to happen is going to happen. If you believe in what God has spoken as the outcome, it will knock the teeth out of whatever threat the enemy throws against your way. If you believe it. Most of the things that the enemy targets against us are trying to get us to not believe the outcome that God said. All the way back in the garden in the beginning. God stated the outcome if you eat of the tree. The enemy came along to try and get them to not believe in that outcome. Believe a different outcome. And they did it. Got them in trouble. But all through the rest of history, you don't believe the outcome. Israel didn't believe the outcome, which is why they always came into fear. They didn't believe the outcome. God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. They kept believing the lie. You're going to die here in the wilderness. And you can see that all through the, all through the um, Old Testament and the New Testament. David was one of those who just decided, I'm going to believe what God said. Caleb and Joshua were people who were going to believe in the God outcome and not this other one. And so fear couldn't get a hold of them. Couldn't alter them. But it did for the other people. Belief in the God-stated outcome will negate the threat that comes against you. Therefore, verse 13, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. This part here, do not be afraid. Basically, that means don't believe the threat. Remember the Lord. It's another way of saying believe in the outcome God stated. Remember what God has said will happen. God had told them, we're going to build the wall. The wall is going to be completed. Believe that outcome. Don't believe the outcome of, of the opponents who come against you. Now we get to verse 15. This is a very puzzling verse. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Every, when they heard 
that it was known to us? Now, does that come across as puzzling to you? All that they had seemed to have done to make the threats known to try and undermine the work that was being done and it wasn't working. And then they say, well, because our threat was known, well, we're going we're gonna to call it off. I, I don't know that I buy that. I believe that that's what they said. One of those statements uh, Brother Fred Price makes on, on often in his uh, uh, the things that he says and one that I was listening to recently, he went over it again. He said the, um, the, the Bible is, let me see if I can remember how he said it this way. The, the Bible is, is uh, it's always stated, the Bible states truth. That's, that's how, it, the Bible written is always truly stated. What is written in the Bible is always truly stated, but it is not always stated truth. You have to ponder that for a little while. Brother Price is always good for throwing out those little things. So you just got to think on that for a little bit. Everything in the Bible is truly stated, but it is not always truth. So this is what they said, but that doesn't mean that was truth. This is, what, this is why they said they did it, but that doesn't mean why they actually did it. So it's always truly stated, but it's not always stating truth. So I, I enjoyed that that he said. I've heard him say that a number of times before. You probably have as well. So it says that uh, what we guys found out about our plot and that God had brought their plot to nothing, and that all of us returned to the work, everyone to his work. So it didn't have the effect, didn't have the desired effect that they wanted. It didn't, um, it didn't, they didn't quit. They kept on going. I think this is an excuse they used as they hoped that the knowledge of the plot would produce fear capable of stopping the work. Now, I don't just have, I think, reasons. I have actual reasons from the Bible. I'll get to them in just a minute here. But you don't even need anyone, everyone to believe it. You don't need everyone to believe that the threat is real. You just need some of them to. Because if some of them do, and they quit the work, that can spread to others. And then when that spreads to others, oh, well, if everybody else is quitting on this, I guess I'll quit too. And more and more, that's what they're hoping. They're hoping for that kind of a domino effect. If they did go through with this, they actually did come and attack Jerusalem like they said they were going to do. They would have been in trouble with Persia as the king authorized and furnished supplies for this work. They knew this. They heard about the, the Nehemiah coming with the king's letters and the authorization for wood from the forest. They knew all that. They got mad at hearing all that. But they knew this and they also knew that the king's wrath would come against them for violating his decree. If you recall, this is just one place where you will find it. But in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in, Dan in chapter 6 is under a Persian king, Darius. And the people who were against Daniel made a decree that no prayers, supplications could be made of any deity except for the king. And he signed it. And if you remember in that story, it is said often 
by the people who were in opposition and then by the king himself that a law, a decree of the kings of Persia could not be altered or changed once it was signed. Which means Nehemiah's decree that he has from the king, which is signed, cannot be changed. And if these folks want to come and physically attack Jerusalem, they would be making war with Persia. And Persia would come. They know this. That's why their threat is empty. It's all part of the pattern that we will take a look at here at the end. So the threat is empty, but belief in the threat would give it the only teeth that it needed. If you believed in the threat, that's all you need. But if they could just sit back and look at this, they're not coming against us because they're not going to come against Persia. That's all they would need to do. Verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the and war armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. I didn't cover this too much in the, in the last one, but there's one verse of scripture in Nehemiah chapter 3 that some people want to interpret that Nehemiah had his own section of wall to build. And I didn't get into it because I didn't think it had too much of a substance in the translation. So we just, I just kind of skipped. I know it was there, but I didn't see that it held any substance and there's not too many out there translators who felt that it had any substance either Nehemiah was over the whole project he couldn't be married to or joined to a section of wall and give the whole project the oversight that it needed so he kept the trumpeter beside him to let everybody know when he's going around to different sections trumpeter's right here if we see anything anything going on don't you worry about it we're going to blow this trumpet and you will hear when we blow this trumpet you just keep on working we're watching and if anything comes up, you just listen for the sound of the trumpet. When you hear that, go to where the trumpet is and we'll take care of the threat. He's trying to set everybody at ease so the trumpeter is right there with him. Everybody can see. I'm not going anywhere without the trumpeter. If we see something, we're not going to try and shout across the, the city. We're going to blow the trumpet and they're going to hear that. Now this is going to slow the work down when you work with uh, all this extra equipment on all this warfare stuff but it's also going to keep it going if they didn't do it they probably wouldn't be, be keep going but they decided to do it this way and to keep it going just in case I mean you could disprove that there really, really is no threat but if you guys want to come we're ready for you in essence I think it's one of your few blanks you got here in essence they answered a threat with a threat don't ever think that the Christian way of doing things is when people threaten you just to sit back there and take it. Because there are a number of times in the Word of God where a threat is answered with a threat. How did they answer the threat of Goliath? With David, who was a threat. He killed him. He was certainly a threat. 
How did Jonathan answer the threat of the Philistines? With a threat. He went after them with the one sword that they had and killed a number of them. How did Moses answer the threat of Pharaoh? With threats themselves. Except uh, God can carry out his threats. Don't feel like you've got to be all nice. Sometimes we as Christians need to put some teeth into some of the things that we say. But get the words from God. Speak the words of God. That's where you see the power comes in. When people went before God and says, God, how should we do this? What shall we say? What shall we do? And then they went out with, with those things. But David didn't go out with all kind of nice things. Now, Goliath, you know, uh, we just want to be uh, nice here. We don't need to get into all kind of fisticuffs or anything. No, no. He said, you threaten God. Come on. I'm going to take you out and I'm going to cut your head off. That is a threat. Even when you see uh, the disciples brought before the Pharisees in the book of Acts and they threatened them, what did they do? They threatened them back. You think we're not going to preach in the name of Jesus? Oh, no, no, no. We're preaching in the name of Jesus because we're rather, we'd rather obey God than obey you. To them, that was a threat. They're trying to get them to stop doing this and they say, oh, no, no, we're going to keep on doing it. Verse 19, then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So this is what he would go around the wall. He'd let people know, reassuring them. We're watching. We're looking out for this stuff. Don't let the distance that we have here apart. I know people are on the other side of the city. Don't worry about that. We're going to have you protected. We've got an alarm system set up. And when that trumpet blows, our God will fight for us. Verse 21. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. That's a long day. At the same time, I also said to the people... Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. Well, that's always a good thing. But they are really in on this thing. They start work early in the day and they work until the stars come out. And then they take up watch. Different ones have, have watched. And he says, look, don't go home. Don't leave the city to go home because some of the groups that came were outside the city. There were some of the villages. He said, don't go home. Stay right here in the city. I want you to stay here every night. I want you to sleep here. You don't have a house here. I know that. But, you know, just find an area on the ground. Camp out. Maybe you can find somebody bunk in their house. Whatever it might be. But I need you on the wall sometime. And you need to, to be on watch. Can you imagine working from sun up to sundown, then watching into the night? You take one of the watches in the night. That is quite a tough way to live. But they accepted it since they understood it would be a short term. This is not, this is not the way we're going to be living. This is just a short term thing right here. So we want to put together the pattern of the enemy here. This is an important pattern to note because this is the pattern that things go. Like I said in the beginning, 
Some steps are skipped, and when they are skipped, they are skipped for a reason. You'll understand that when you see this, this come out. The first step is scorn. I left your room. You can write some of these other things out there afterwards if you want to. But scorn is the first step. This is private group or individual. Scorn will go on with a private group or an individual. It has an internal beginnings, such as with Judas. Judas on the inside began to be think scornful thoughts of Jesus. The Pharisees had views of Jesus that became scornful. They were internal, or they talked about it amongst their own group, but they didn't come outside with it. They didn't let anybody else know. This area of, of scorn, this is where things grow. This is the, where the seeds begin to take root. And it's going to be very individual, or it's going to be a small group. You find a few other people who think like you do, who are scornful like you towards a certain group of people, certain person, what they're doing, and you begin to talk about that person. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they begin to talk about this. In fact, they even came together to talk about Jesus, even though they don't like each other. Different ones came, again, came together against John. They became scornful about John the Baptist. They became scornful about the disciples and the things that they did. We're going to look at some of the examples that we see in Scripture once we get through all these. But that's the first thing. Scorn. Second is ridicule. Now, ridicule moves it up a step. This is public or external for the purpose of swaying opinions. We have to sway opinions. Scorn is not trying to sway opinions. We're building this. We're getting the seeds sown. We're letting this stuff root in our own life. I want to make sure I am thoroughly against Jesus. Thoroughly against whoever it might be. But in ridicule, no, now I need to find a way to spread what I feel to other people. And so we, this has to become public. And so publicly, the Pharisees would do things to humiliate Jesus, to, to come against that. This is uh, one of the things that they would do. It's to change, the whole purpose is to change public opinion. When this happens, when you get into the ridicule stage, understand the purpose of this is to sway public opinion. So, you don't change how you deal with the public. Stay nice. Stay kind. Stay loving. Treat the public right. Because what happens is if they're, they're trying to get people to look at you poorly. And people will do that. But if you keep coming out and, well, I don't know, they keep saying it they're this way, but they're just not that way. I, I just don't see that in them. They're, they're kind. They're, they're very level-headed. They, they listen to me when I had uh, objections to what they were saying. I don't get where they're, they're seeing this. Don't let it take root. That part is something that you can do. So ridicule will come. Just know what's going to come. Don't think, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said it that way. No, they would have found something else that you said and twisted that. Here's the third stage, accusation. They can be false, twisted, even made up lies. But it's all there to step up the ridicule. They're going to throw some accusations against you. The aim is to lessen the value and impact of the work you and others do. They're going to accuse. They're going to try and bring public opinion about you down. We did start off with some ridicule. But now we're going to have a direct accusation. We don't even care if it's true. We're going to make up stuff if we have to. 
we're going to twist some of the things that you said. I know you said this. Here's the next step. Number four, threats. Intimidation to get the target to quit in case there is not public support for the next step. They may not have public support to go any further than they have gone so far. And if they don't have public support, then they're going to try and do threats to get you to stop on your own, to get you to be discouraged, to get you to quit. Have you heard what they said they want to do? I don't know if I want to go through this. I don't know if I want to keep facing this kind of thing. And the threats will turn some people away. The last step is violence. This is desired result, but it is only attempted. If it is perceived, it won't turn the public against them. They will step to this. Now, let's take a look at it in some of the examples we have in the Bible. Jesus, as we said, he was scorned by the religious leaders. They let those seeds develop. They began to ridicule his teachings, healings on the Sabbath, all to sway public opinion. They had accusations. They had first with Jesus, they would accuse Jesus of different things. Accuse Jesus of going against the law. Accuse Jesus of, of um, making himself equal with God. They would just come up with things that from Jesus, what Jesus said to accuse him. But once they arrested him, they got a much harsher accusations. Now the threats stage with Jesus was somewhat skipped. The threats were in their plotting, but they didn't make them public. They didn't come out and try and intimidate Jesus with their threats. They skipped that part. It went right to the arrest, and then after that, went right to the violence. In the violence, we see the scourging, the crucifixion. But legally, they cannot do this of themselves, just like with the story of Nehemiah. Legally, they could not come and attack Jerusalem. They needed public opinion to be on their side, and specifically, they needed Pilate to authorize the crucifixion. They couldn't crucify people. So if they could get enough public opinion on their side and sway Pilate into doing what they wanted done, they could get this going. They go right to the, to the violence step. So they could skip the threats and go right to the violence. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to kill Jesus. How do we get there? We've got to find a way. We've got to map out a route to get there. We've got to sway public opinion. We've got to get people on our side. And you remember when Pilate was out there with Jesus, he was trying to get the people to call for Jesus, and they were in the back stirring people up. Nope, call for Barabbas. What do we do with Jesus? And they start up another chant. Crucify him. Crucify him. Why? What evil has he done? And they cried out all the more. Crucify him. They got public opinion to go. They can do this. Then they can, they can do that. Paul. We saw much of the same thing with Paul. He would go into a town. Oh, let's listen to this guy. We like this. And then he would say something that they didn't like. And then the scorn would start. And they would have the little private meetings to go on. And then they begin to question him and ridicule him. And uh, then eventually Paul will say, all right, fine, I'm gonna, we're not going to go into the synagogues anymore. We're going to go over here to the, to the house church. In fact, one town, he went right next door <laughs> to, the, to the house, and they had meetings over there. One place they were in, uh, Paul was drawing more people into the meetings than they would in their synagogues before, and they got envious. They were okay with Paul up until then, and then they got envious, and then we saw the scorn and the ridicule. The accusations began to come. 
With Paul, many times we saw threats. They tried to threaten him. Then they came after him with violence. And so we can see in different places, sometimes you'll see four of these things hit. Sometimes you'll see five of these things, all five of these things hit. But constantly with Paul, you see it over and over and over again. David is one that you'll see this with. Because he was doing fine. He was growing into the, into the things that they were doing. Helping Israel, becoming a more of a soldier for them. And then all of a sudden they sang that song. Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And we saw that inside of Saul began the seeds of scorn. Began to become scornful of David. And he probably talked with that with a few people around. Maybe he picked up they had the same thing. But eventually he got to the stage. It's not in the word too much that we see. He got to the stage where he ridiculed and criticized to at least a small group to start, but it must have spread and become nationwide because David found people who were against him no matter where he went. They believed the things that were said that Saul had done. And even though David came in and, and spared their city or helped their city, or delivered them from the Philistines, they would, uh, one place even said, he said, God, will they turn me over? Yep, they will. So he left. Then he was accused by Saul. Now, understand this is a little bit different with Saul. When we get to, to him being a king, uh, he doesn't need public opinion. He's the king. If he wants to kill you, off with your head. That's it. We don't, we don't care who's on his side. If he says off with your head and you don't do it, then off with your head and then the next guy steps up and then we'll get him to, to execute who we want. But David still became aware of the threats. In fact, one time he stayed away from the feast because he knew the threat was there. Jonathan told him about it. Yep, yeah, uh, dad was real angry that you weren't there. But most of the threats were kept secret because the purpose was not to sway public opinion. The purpose was to be secretive and to try and have the violence that he was planning to take it by surprise. And then, of course, not only the spear that was thrown in violence, but also the entire army was in pursuit of David. That's, that's pretty violent right there. I want to read to you Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. Here's our last one we're going to take a look at. And this is Stephen. Because in these verses, you're going to see these things come about. One step is skipped. And you'll see why. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. Well, they didn't agree with him. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So here we first see in the synagogues steps one and two. There was scorn, and then publicly, they were ridiculing him, trying to make him look foolish. But the wisdom of Stephen was impossible for them to pull down. And so they ended up looking foolish instead of Stephen. So then they had to step this up. We've got to get to the accusation part. In verse 12, when they stirred up people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. So they're hearing what people are saying, but they're not sitting down. It's not making sense. Now, we don't see that in this, this guy. Now, chapter 7, he goes on and he preaches a sermon. That's a very famous sermon. He gives a lot of history on, on things with uh, Moses and Israel. In Acts chapter 8, we go right to the violence. We skipped all the things with the threats. Because we didn't need public opinion on this one. We had a mob. And in a mob, we were able to accomplish what we wanted to do. We dragged him out into the streets and we stoned Stephen. In Acts chapter 8, you'll see how that, how that goes. But this is how the enemy will come against you. First off, there are going to be people that he's going to sow the seeds of scorn in. And it's going to take root. But he's also going to come against you and he's going to tell you there's something about you that's wrong. That's why these people look at you this way. He's going to try and get you to second-guess yourself and decide, you know what? I'm just not real good at speaking about Jesus, about defending Jesus. I don't just keep my mouth shut and let other people who do it better do it. He's, he's been successful just at the first stage. That's not going to work. We're going to step it up. We're going to ridicule you. We're going to make people who come into the meetings where you're at, like he did with Paul and like he did with Stephen, or he's going to come into whatever it is that your your project is or whatever it is that you're working on for God. We're going to ridicule you. We're going to say things about you. We're going to make you defend yourself. And if that doesn't sway you, and for a lot of people it will, they don't like to be publicly humiliated. They don't want the public to think less of them. Many people will back down at that spot. We don't need to go any further. Then we're going to have accusations. People are going to accuse you of things. Well, you just don't like these kind of people. Well, you just don't think this ought to work in, in, this, in this place. Well, you just want, don't want us to have this. They're going to throw accusations. You're going to feel like you've got to defend them. And you have to resist that. Don't try and defend it. Watch Jesus, how he handled these accusations. Look at what he did. And, and put it on them. What did I say that gave you that impression? What did I say that you're basing that on? Well, we heard. No, no, no. Not much hurt. What did I say? Tell me what I said. And you, you back them into the corner. You know, I love some of these uh, press. I don't, I don't watch them. I just sometimes see little blurps of things and entertaining enough for me i can only handle for about 30 seconds but you see some of these uh, press conferences and people are asking questions and you just watch the people who are running the press conference try and dodge questions they don't want to answer these things and they'll they'll put them to it but you said but this happened what do you say about it? and then they just kind of skirt it on off no make people put people put the pressure on people they're coming after you There's nothing that says you can't come after them but you're going to do it in the Christian... Don't, don't come after them with false accusations. Don't come after them with false things. Simply, what did you hear me say? And after they hem and haul around for a while, you didn't actually hear me say anything, did you? You see, you can turn that thing around and instead of the ridicule being upon you, you can put it upon them. You remember with Jesus, they eventually got to the place that no one dared ask him any more questions. 
because instead of them putting the ridicule on him, he put the ridicule on them. He didn't come after them for it. He only did it because they opened their mouth and they came after him. And so he exposed their hypocrisy. And that's what you can do. Expose people's hypocrisy. Accusation. They're going to make things up about you. They're going to twist things. They're going to say false things about just know that it's coming. It's not because you did anything wrong. It's just because this is how darkness operates and know that it's going to come. They want to lessen the value and the impact of the work that you do and others. And if that doesn't get you to stop, well, I don't even want these accusations. I don't want to have to go through and defend myself and, and do all this. I don't want these accusations. If that didn't stop you, and it will stop some, now we're going to make some threats. Well, we're going to come after you, and we're going to do this particular thing over here, and we're going to uh, uh, act in this way, and the threats will come. They want to intimidate. They want to get you to quit. They don't want you to operate in this way or speak these things. We saw some of that... Uh, over the last year or two with the uh, way that the uh, Supreme Court judges, that their addresses were given out. People were showing up on their lawns and uh, about, dis about uh, things that had not even been released yet. Someone leaked it out, which is illegal. I don't believe anybody was ever hauled into court on that one. But it was illegal for those things to be released. And it's also illegal for them to be gathered on those lawns and to make the threats. They're trying to intimidate. There's no violence yet. We're trying to intimidate, trying to get you to back down. These are the ways that darkness goes. And the final thing is violence. They would love to jump to just this area right here and just go right to violence. But they have to go through the stages because they need generally, unless you're Saul and you're the king and you can behead anyone you want to or throw a spear through anybody that you want to, you need to get the public on your side. So that's what all these other things are about, to try and get the public to view you in a different light than what God views you as and what God is doing through you. This is the goal. And then the violence will come if they can, get the, if they can sway the public opinion. This is the way that it goes. This is the way the evil is. You can look at so many stories in the Bible and see this pattern. Like I said, sometimes a step is skipped if it's not necessary. Sometimes we may go right to the accusations. We, the scorn started. We had all this stuff building up on the end. It has to start one of those things. You've got to have somewhere the seeds have to get sown. But sometimes we're just going to come right out and we're just going to accuse and then threaten and then violence may come in. So these are the five stages of this, but not all five stages need to be hit at all the time. And if the threats stop you, well, there's no reason to go on to anything else. But here in this story... It's not covered in the story. It's not mentioned in the story. But the threat is completely empty. And yet it could have had a very powerful effect upon them. Many times the enemy's threats against us are empty. There's nothing to them. But if we put belief in them, it can change it. Don't put the belief in there. Don't believe all the reports that you hear. Take it back to God. God is... What is your declared outcome? I want to have faith in your declared outcome. I want to have faith in what you say is coming. Because if you have faith in what God says is the outcome, 
and not faith in the threat, you will disarm the threat. But if the enemy can get you to believe the threat, he'll change it. Jesus' strength in his ministry was, and he would say this, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. He knew that. That was God's declaration. He believed it. He had faith in God's declaration. He was not letting that go. It's because of it, the threats of the enemy, they had no teeth. They may threaten to, to kill him. He knew going back to Lazarus town, people were going to try and kill him. He goes right on back. He just goes back at a time that the Spirit of God said to go ahead. And goes right on back creates a miracle and then uh, goes about it in the town and they can't do anything about it because his faith was in, was in what God declared not in what the devil did. Well, Father, I thank you that we can know the schemes of the enemy. We can know how he wants to come against us. We can know what it is that he does, what he has done in the past. And we can disarm him by not believing in the things that he wants to do. Father, we thank you that you have shown us over and over and over again the pattern of darkness. We do not need to fear it. We just need to believe in the God outcome over the outcome of the threats. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, that, I was wondering why you were standing there. <laughs> Which is the first, uh, first one? I have wondered... For a long time in the Bible, when people of God, including Jesus, the Son of God, were killed by the people doing evil, I don't think that was God's will. Is there something God's people can do to rebuke the evil and call for protection from evil, either through prayer or rebuking in Jesus' name? Yeah, you may not like my answer on this one. Um, and then here's the other one. If so, why were the apostles in the Bible killed by people doing evil? Why weren't they protected? I know he could could have called for help, but sacrificed himself for us. The um, book of Revelation tells us about the martyrs. And the word of God, Jesus says to the martyrs, your numbers aren't finished yet. Other people are going to be joining you. So he knew people were going to be uh, martyred. And it was... It was not only allowed, it was, this is what, this is what's happening. If you look at the letters to the seven churches, um, it is, I know, Pergamum, I think, is, is the, the one where it's actually told that some of you would die. Some of you were going to be martyrs because of the persecution. He said there's great persecution coming and some of you would die. There are times that God's people were allowed to be martyrs and there were times that it was not. So I think in, outside of the Bible, if you wanted to look into church history, probably a long time since I talked about this, uh, most people know about Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, they intended to kill him. They didn't like the things that he attacked on the, do on the door. And uh, I, I, tell, I don't line up with Martin Luther's doctrine. I line up with a lot more of it than what he came against, but he put some things up there on the board on that door, and I said, "No, I don't, I don't like that at all." 
but he still stood up to the powers that be and uh, he had protection he had a castle a friend who had a castle and they kept him in the castle and they kept him protected in the castle that's why he wasn't killed but if uh, you know church history 50 years before Martin Luther there was a uh, someone who was a reformer who was more radical than Luther and his name was Savonarola you can look him up uh, do your search on, on him and you will find out that uh, he was probably the charismatic of his day. He believed in the gifts of the Spirit and operated them in the gifts of the Spirit. He spoke in prophecy. He had prophetic words that he would state. And they did not like him. He was a reformer, far more radical than Martin Luther. And if he had been the reformer, instead of waiting 50 years for Martin Luther, the Reformation would have had a much more full gospel, charismatic, Pentecostal uh, flavor than it did. But uh, he did not have that natural protection and he was burned at the stake and he died. I can't even begin to explain to you why this person dies and this person doesn't. I have no idea what to to do. Maybe it's something on them. Uh, We do know that Paul himself was as he, in his words, poured out as an offering. There were times that he was spared. Peter was, uh, at one time, freed from prison by an angel. But in the end, he was allowed to, to die. In fact, Jesus even told him how he would die at the end. He even uh, predicted that. The only one of the disciples that was not killed was John. And they tried to kill him. And they failed. And so that's why he ended up on the island of Patmos because they could not kill him. Why was John set aside? And not the, not the I don't know. I, I don't know what the reason for it is. I'm not management. I'm just in sales. But there is a reason for it. There are times that God does need people who will stand up to death and, and die for it. And there would be people in the tribulation period who will not bow down to the image and will be killed for it. And that is going to be a testimony to many people in the world. They will see it. And for some reason, it is something that is desired. If it came to that point and you did, don't fret over it because you get to get a crown that only people who gave their life as a martyr receive. And that's spoken about, I believe, in uh, Revelation. Uh, talks about that. That's the only way you can get that crown is if you are killed for your faith. So if you get to be killed for your faith, glory to God. <laughs> that can be a good thing. Uh, but there are some really horrendous ways that people have been killed for their faith in the Bible. And there was great suffering that was involved. It was not always quick. But what a glorious time they had in heaven when they did get there for the things that were there. So I, um, Sharon, I, I can't exactly tell you why some people are spared and some people are not. I don't get to, um, I don't get that, that kind of privileged information. But I do know that there are some times, like Daniel, he was spared in the lion's den. Uh, there, there was uh, the fiery furnace. There are times that miraculous things occurred to keep people from dying.
and there are other times where it was not. And there's probably more of a rhyme or reason than, than I know or that I can figure out, but uh, that's the best I can answer that for you, is that there are some times that that just does not happen, and the people die. All right. I didn't see any other question. Was that the only question that came up on them? Very good. All right. Well, we are on to chapter five next time. I hope that the pattern here helps you in some of the things that you face in life because these things will continue. They continued in the Old Testament. They continue in the New Testament and they continue in the church age. They will continue. This is the pattern that the enemy uses. This is the pattern that he has and we can recognize it and know what's coming. So have a good night and we will see you on Sunday.